Welcome back to the podcast. This is Charlotte Craven, I'm technical director here at Evidence for Faith. And today we get to meet a couple of characters in our Keep the Fires Burning study. Um, today is Balak and Balaam. I'm not sure on the pronunciations of Balak, but that's what I'm going to go with. So, but before we jump into it, I want to talk a little bit about Evidence for Faith and the ministry we have here. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know exactly what I'm going to talk about. Um, if not, um, I'm going to introduce you a little bit to this ministry. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. We're an apologetics ministry, which means we are completely supported by donations. So we don't only just produce this podcast. We actually have videos. We have a website. And then we also go to uh, different groups and churches um, and present uh, scripture and whether that's the gospel or any different aspect that question people might have it about scripture. I even know on one occasion, Michael was invited to an atheist club because <laughs> they wanted to know about the Bible, um, which was a very interesting experience. So on top of the podcast, we do a lot of uh, ministry and outreach work. Um, and the big important thing that we have decided here at Evidence for Faith is we never want someone to have to pay to hear the gospel or dig deeper about um, God and getting closer to him. So as a policy, we've kind of made it so that we don't have exorbitant speaker fees or anything like that. And we've just decided, you know, whatever people are going to give us, that's what we're going to use to go, um, go out and preach the gospel and produce this podcast. So, uh, every donation that you give is actually going not only to making this podcast and keeping it going and making cool content for you. It also goes towards, uh, helping us go to some of these groups who maybe can't afford, a speaker like Michael or who maybe just don't have the resources, but we can still go there and help them dig deeper into their Bibles and grow closer to God. So it takes about 12500 a month to help cover salaries and infrastructure and all the operations costs, traveling costs um, to go to these different places and to keep producing this content. Um, so if you'd like to become a donor, you can go to evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. I'm also going to have the links in the description. So with that, let me, let's meet our two characters today. And keep the fires burning, Balak and Balaam. Hi, and welcome to Evidence for Faith. So glad you're joining me today and in our lesson today on our minor Bible characters, but major lessons that they teach us. Today we're going to be talking about um, somebody who bartered with God, and this is a really interesting lesson. Um, it really speaks loudly to us today, and it's taken primarily from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, but I swear to you, it is so pertinent to our lives, and particularly in the church today. The story is about Balaam and King Balak. Now, it's going to be really confusing. I'm going to try and keep these two names different um, and pronounce them as they are. But boy, sometimes it gets confusing because Balaam and Balak sound very similar. Uh, at least the first um, four letters are the exact same. So it's just the, the suffix at the end. Uh, the last syllable is where you get the difference, it seems. But anyway... We're going to go into this lesson, and I hope, I truly hope that you will learn uh, something so important in your walk with God from this lesson today. So let's begin with this and uh, just um, ask that God just really bless us as we go through this and open up our eyes and our minds to learn and see from uh, all about him on this. So to begin with, let me tell you that some people have a great desire to hear the word of God. 
Now, back when I was a freshman at Olivet Nazarene University, there was a guy who lived on the first floor of the freshman dorm who, I, to be honest, I don't remember his name. We're going to call him John. To say that John struggled as a student is an understatement at least, but he had a good heart. He was such a kind, really, really good guy. But he just was a little slow, shall we say. He really struggled. John always insisted on studying with the radio on, uh, tuned to gospel music, old-fashioned gospel music, which his roommate in this freshman dorm, we each had two roommates. I was on the second floor. Um, this is occurring on the first floor, but um, each of us had two um, shared a, a room, uh, two people sharing a room. And John and his roommate often battled over the environment of the room when it came to study time. For John had to have his music on, which his roommate uh, couldn't stand. And his roommate actually could only seem to study in total silence. So there was an impasse that was going on here. Well, one night, John's roommate came up to my room where there was a bunch of us. Others on the floor were sitting in my room and we were all talking. And um, while we were sitting there, and talking, he comes walking in, and he, he said in a disgusted voice that, oh, John's at it again, um, studying with that stupid music on. Obviously, he was not a lover of gospel music, but anyway, I asked him and others in my room, hey, guys, do you, do you want to play a prank on John? And everyone heartily agreed, oh, yeah. I must admit, I'm going to be totally honest with you, my sinful nature took over. It did. It, it took over on me. It it, it, it did. Um, what, what I proposed, what we did was so evil, so mean to this really innocent guy. Lord, forgive me. I have prayed, to be honest, I have prayed over and over um, for God to, to forgive me because this is so bad what we did. Okay, I know you're wondering, what in the world did I do? Okay, this is it. I told him I had built a transmitter back when I was in eighth grade. Um, a radio transmitter, and I, um, I had it in my closet. And I suggested we go into the room next door to John and talk to John on the radio that he was listening to. Well, they're all like, you can do that? You can cut into the radio? I said, yeah, that's what transmitters do. So I built this thing from scratch and made this. Anyway, they all heartily agreed, and we, we entered the room next door with great enthusiasm. I sat up the transmitters while others held drinking glasses to their ears and leaned against the wall, separating John from us. In a few moments, I had found the frequency John was listening to, for suddenly his radio went absolutely silent. Now, what transpired, can only we can only guess, because we can't see in the room. But just using our imaginations, we could sort of get a mind's eye of what was going on, what was taking place in that room. So when I, when I cut off his radio signal, I let the radio remain silent for a few moments before one of the guys with us in on this prank spoke with his deep bass voice into the microphone, John. This was followed by a moment of silence. Then he spoke again into the microphone, John. Now, at this point, we could hear with the glasses to our ears, John reply, who is that? Now, I didn't know what the guy was going to say. We hadn't rehearsed this at all, but this is what he did. He said, 
It's the Lord, John. Now, there was a distinct pause before John called out, Who is this really? Our guy again said, It's the Lord, John. I'm coming to you from this radio. John replied, Yes, Lord, I hear you. What do you want to say to me? Our guy said, and as I said, this is unrehearsed, John, I want you to quit school tomorrow. Buy a plane ticket to Uganda. There you will become my new Paul, my new Billy Graham. You will lead thousands to me in stadiums across Africa. Now go, John. It wasn't until that point that we all suddenly realized what a bad prank this was and how sinful and evil we were. Oh my gosh, it was like, it was as if the Holy Spirit instantly convicted every single one of us in the room what we were doing was wrong. Because the next thing we heard was John shouting out, Yes, Lord! Yes, Lord! I'll start packing now! I'll leave tomorrow! And then we heard him crying. And he was shouting, Yes, Lord! Yes, Lord! Oh my gosh! We didn't know what to do. We, we quietly uh, talked in, in the room among ourselves. And I, I, I actually said, guys, I turned off the transfer. I said, guys, we've done a really bad thing here. This is terrible. We need to go in there and tell them that this is just a joke. But, you know, others says, I never, I never really thought he would believe this. I never thought he believed me. I never, you know, we were like, but it doesn't matter. We have really screwed up. We need to go in there. So we, we all entered John's room together, found John on his knees, clutching his radio to his chest and crying. John, John, we, we tried to tell him. We, it was us. We were pulling a, a joke, a practical joke on it. It was a bad joke. John, we're so sorry. But before we could even get all that out, he got up and jumping around the room, he began telling us how God actually spoke to him through the radio. We tried and tried to tell him that it was just us playing a joke on him, but he, we could not convince him. It just didn't work. He, he was so sold out on this message. Oh my gosh, we didn't know what to do. So finally I said, okay, I'm going to get the transmitter. I go in the other room, get the transmitter come back in. John is now preaching to us. And we I set up the transmitter and I show him how this thing works. And then we got the guy with the deep voice. And um, when John heard his voice come through on the radio, um, he realized that we had pranked him. John heard that voice again. And suddenly his joy turned to absolute vengeful rage. We were lucky to get out of there alive. Oh, you know, this just goes to show people really want to hear the word of God. And like I say, I am so sorry if, if the guy who's John, I don't remember your name, but if you're listening to this broadcast, I again, I deeply apologize for what I did. And for all of us who were in there, um, I, oh, I feel terrible to this day. I mean, yeah, it's it's funny. People laugh at this, but oh my gosh, it was... It was funny, but Lord, I'm so sorry I did this to this guy. Anyway, no, he didn't quit school and go to Africa the next day. He he stuck out and stayed there at the university. Anyway, with that, um, let's get to our lesson as we're going on. Um, let's talk about King Balak. Now, King Balak was the king of Moab, and he had a problem. The Israelites on their exodus from Egypt were invading Canaan and had just destroyed the Amorites because the Amorites 
didn't allow Israel to pass through their land. That was the only thing. But they they didn't allow it, and it made God angry. And so God told them to destroy them, which they did. So God commanded Moses to destroy the Amorites for refusing to help the Israelites. After this victory, the Israelites were camped next to the land of Moab and King Balak. So Balak thought to himself that the Israelites were going to attack him too. And we read this in Numbers chapter 22. We're going to start off in Numbers 22. So if you have your Bibles, just follow along with us as we go through and skip around with this story. Um, verses 2 and 3, we read, And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw, that Israel had done, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because there were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. Balak and all of his kingdom were scared to death. In other words, they were just scared to death about their impending future. He knows that this army is, his army is no match for the Israelites. So he looks for help. But instead of going to other nations and stuff, he's going to do something else. Now, he, sh he shouldn't have to have worried or he shouldn't have even been frightened by this because God had told Moses and the Israelites not to attack Moab. We read this in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 9, and Moses said to me, or I'm sorry, excuse me, the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land for a possession, because I have given our to the people of Lot for a possession. You understand that Balak was unnecessarily afraid? He had probably heard the news that Israel was not planning to attack him, but he didn't believe it. So he thought out a plan, his own plan, to prevent the Israelites from conquering Moab. He didn't take, if you get this now, he didn't take God's word as truth. And he tries to set his own agenda and make a plan that was contrary to God's word. We pick up the story in verse 4. 4 through 6 we read, So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, Balaam the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammah, to call him, saying, Behold, a people have come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I'll be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So we're introduced to Balaam. Balaam was a prophet for hire is what he really was. We often teach children about him and his talking donkey. Uh, but if we examine the word of God carefully, we can get an impression that um, Balaam was not just a prophet of God, but a prophet of many gods. He wasn't sold out to just God. He was like a, a prophet for hire for any, any idol or any religion. He was a diviner, a diviner of many pagan gods and not just the great biblical God of the Hebrew. Um, and sometimes in Sunday school classes and stuff, we sort of make him out to be a hero. Well, he's not really a good person, as we're going to see here. Anyway, in Numbers chapter 22, verse 7, we read, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand 
And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. Now, Balaam is referred to here as a diviner who accepts fees. That's where we get this information from. No doubt he has a working knowledge of Yehovah, Elohim, the, the God of the Hebrews, the true God, but he most likely consulted other gods for a fee. Um, this was very common in ancient Canaan, actually, and modern archaeology has actually found artifacts talking about Balaam, the son of Beor, as a seer and a diviner. As a matter of fact, in the issue of Biblical Archaeology Review magazine, uh, the September-October 1986 issue, they even display and they show um, images and translate them uh, that have been found over in that uh, region talking, and it's written in plaster on a wall, but one of the inscriptions, these ancient inscriptions reads, Balaam, son of Beor, the man who was a seer of the gods, is the translation. So archaeology substantiates this guy really did live, that he was the son of Beor, that he was a seer. He, not a sold-out prophet to God, he was a seer for many gods, plural. So that's what we get here. And, and given that Balaam lived over 400 miles away from Balak, near the city of Haran. Haran, is that might sound familiar, because that's the city where Abraham once lived and was from, um, or lived there for a while. He must have had a wide-known reputation in Canaan. That's 400 miles away, and Balak knows about him. So he seems to be a famous person. Um, now, we have two characters that we have in this study. One is King Balak, who is searching for God's word, or more specifically, for God's curse on Israel. And he is willing to go to great lengths to hear God's word, even, even if it means it will cost him much, and even if it means he has to send away for it from 400 miles away. I must pause at this point to look at a faith lesson here that is just begging to be declared, and it's this. At what lengths are you willing to go to hear the word of God? At what lengths are you willing to go to hear the word of God? Would you give up much of your wealth to obtain it? Would you travel hundreds of miles on foot to obtain it? How much do you really and truly want to hear God speak to you? I might even ask, when was the last time you opened your Bible and just listened to God speak to you? Well, moving along with our lesson, Balak's messengers arrive at the home of Balaam. Balaam, sorry, this is so hard to keep these names straight. Uh, the home of Balaam, where he receives them, and the story continues. And this is going to be Numbers 22, verses 7 through 14, as we read. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And when they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message, he said to, him, to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these people with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent, uh, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people have come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come and curse them for me. Perhaps I will be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. 
you shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princess of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me come with you. So the princess of Moab rose and went to King Balak and said to him, Balaam refuses to come with us. Now, Balaam does just what he should. He waits to hear from the Lord what God's will is in this manner. And has been stated, Balaam was a seer probably for many idols, but he definitely had a working knowledge of who Yehovah, Yahweh, um, if you will, the Hebrew God is, the true God. So he waits to hear. And God responds to him, telling him not to curse these people and not even to go with them. Balaam at this point is doing exactly what is right. He has listened to God's word, received God's word, and he follows God's word. Again, let me pause to see a faith lesson that is, that is here. We can implement in our lives today. When Balaam was searching for God's word on a subject, he got his answer. God was blunt to the point on this matter also. There could be no doubt in Balaam's mind as to what God wished on this matter, on these Israelites concerning them. And now, receiving God's word during the night, Balaam rose first thing in the morning and told his guests to leave. He didn't wait around hoping for a payment or for some clause that could be added to the case. He simply told them, go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. How many times do we see God's will in a circumstance, hear it plainly, and then doubt or try and reason with God because it's, we didn't like the answer. Hmm. Balaam, though, at this point in our lesson, is doing exactly what is right. No doubt, he probably wishes he could go and receive this, get paid, receive some good PR also for all this, but he does what God tells him to do. Hmm. On the other hand, Balak has not learned the lesson that Balaam has at this point. For observe how he responds to the answer he gets from God. This is in verses uh, 15 through 17. Once again, Balak sent princes, more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam, and he said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor. And whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. Isn't this like people today? Isn't it? Even Christians, they seek the word of God for their life. And when God disappoints them by not agreeing with their request, they try to reason with God. And they try to get God to see it from their point of view. How simplified, how better our lives would be if we simply just accepted God's word and ran with it. Well, Balak was not happy with the response. Um, he tries once more. Balaam receives Balak's messengers. Notice, now catch this, he receives them. Notice the message these men hand uh, to Balaam is one of promise, of great honor, and great wealth. Literally, it's going to give him anything he wants. Now, look how Balaam handles this entourage of guests as they've come back now and their promises, picking up in verses 18 through 21. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God, 
to do more or less. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know more the, what the Lord will say to me. Hmm. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you to. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. Now, why did Balaam even invite them in and intercede for them again from the Lord? He already knows God's response on this, the way God feels concerning this manner. The reason he does this, we're not told in the book of Numbers, yet we are told in another part of the Bible, in the New Testament, in the book of 2 Peter and the book of Jude. We find out the motive behind Balaam's way he uh, um, listens and, and invites them in and what he's doing. We get his true motive here. 2 Peter 2.15 reads, Forsaking the right way and having gone astray, they have followed the ways of Balaam, son of Beor, now get this, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Loved gain from wrongdoing. Also in Jude, verse 11, we read, Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain of Balaam's error to perish in Quran's rebellion. So we are now finding what the answer is. Balaam had a greater love of materialistic things and money than he had for God. He already had asked God for guidance on this matter. God responded to him. Now, probably weeks later, he he is readdressed by Balak and tempted with greater honor and wealth. Balaam tries to see if God will at least allow him to garner some fame and income somehow. There's his motive. Like I say, that's what we see from the New Testament. We get the explanation. Now, when you are trying to find out God's will for your life, and he responds in a way that is clear but not favorable to you, do you try to bargain with him or get him to compromise or change his mind? That's what Balaam is attempting to do. He already knows what God wants, but he's determined to try his patience. This is, of course, angering God to the point that he sets out to kill Balaam. This is where we find the famous story of Balaam and the talking donkey. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord standing in a road with a sword. The donkey saves Balaam's life, but not before he beats the donkey with his staff. Then God opens the eyes of Balaam and tells him, uh, that, the, uh, and, and tells him that the donkey saved his life. And in Numbers chapter 22, uh, verses 34 and 35, then we read, Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. Now, Balaam had wrong motives in serving Balak. He was not concerned about serving God as he was about getting fame and wealth. Because of this, God almost killed him on the spot, but he's planning his death is what's going on. You're going to disobey. I'm going to use you for something, but you, you disobeyed me. You are going to die is what, what happens. You know, there are times when we will deliberately disobey God for our own personal reasons. But God is sovereign and is not thwarted by our disobedience. 
He knows what we're going to do even before we do it. And so he has a plan ready for when we disobey. How easier and more abundant our lives would be if we would just simply accept and obey God's word instead of trying to manipulate and barter with God into our way of thinking. Well, as the story continues, Balaam finally arrives in Moab and Balak is there to meet him. He asks Balaam to curse the Israelites at Bamoth Baal, that's the Mount of Baal, but instead of a curse, Balaam pronounces a great blessing on the Israelites. Now, Balak, King Balak is beside himself with with horror and declares, this is in Numbers 23, verses 11 and 12, and Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and behold, you've done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Balaam gives Balak the right answer again. And he says he must only speak what God is will. But Balak, King Balak is undeterred uh, with this event as he presses Balaam to pronounce a curse from a different location on a partial group of the Israelites. Picking this up in uh, Numbers 23, verses 13 and 14. And Balak said to him, please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You you shall only see a fraction of them um, and not all of them. Then, Then curse them for me from here. And he took him to the field of Zophim to the top of Pishka. Once again, Balaam now gets it right and pronounces a blessing on the Israelites and not a curse. And we pick up in verses 25 through 28 of Numbers 23 here, we read, and Balak said to Balaam, do not curse them at all and do not bless them at all. But Balaam answered Balak, did I not tell you all that the Lord says I must do. And Balak said to Balaam, now, or come now, I will take you to another place. Perhaps, perhaps it will please God that you may curse them from, for me from here. So Balaam took, uh, took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the desert. Here we go again. Balak tries to manipulate God again, but it doesn't work. Three times, King Balak tries God's patience, and all three times he gets the exact same answer. Now, King Balak is really mad. We read in Numbers chapter 24, verses 10 through 11. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said, I certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from the honor. You know, there's another faith lesson facing us here about Balak's action. He tries to find out God's will in his life. He asks God, and God replies. But he's not happy with the reply. Three times he badgers God, slightly altering his request each time. But God is not man that he changes his mind. As a matter of fact, the story continues by saying that in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said he will, uh, will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God doesn't change. Now, Balak, King Balak had to learn this the hard way. And today people are still trying to learn this. 
Many Christians think that they can pass off their sins of their lives by reasoning to themselves that God wants me to be happy and will accept whatever I knew. After all, he's a God of love, even if it's contrary to his word. His word needs to change. God needs to change. Now, I'll tell you this in all earnestness. God does not change his mind, especially in areas of sin. Many in the church today don't agree with that, yet it is found numerous times in Scripture. Right here, as plain as can be, you get the Malachi, I think it's chapter 3, again, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. Many times I have heard that today, and I've heard pastors, pastors that I've known for years, who have are now saying that God has to keep up with society. God has to change. Society is saying certain sins, according to God, are okay. Thus, God, who's a God of love, wants us all to be happy, and God changes. They distort Scripture, folks. It's that simple. God does not change. He is God because he is perfect and he is holy. If he's not perfect, then he would have to change. But he is perfect. You don't change perfection. It's the standard by which everything is measured. God is holy. He cannot do this. There are certain things God can't do. It also says God can't lie. No. And he also, since he is holy, he calls us to be holy. This is found both in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, we read, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. How many times I hear this? It, turning on certain sermons on the YouTube or in, um, listening to them on the radio or something like this, I have heard this over and over. It's, it's a disease spreading like a virus through the church today, that God, being a God of love, he has to accept us the way we are and because he wants us to be happy. No, we are playing the game here that Balak and Balaam did, altering, trying to get God to alter his, his whole character doesn't happen. One more point should be made concerning Balaam, and it deals with this discourse. There is a very special, shall I say, discourse that it's found in this story. I want you to look at it. It's in Numbers chapter 24, verses 17 through 19. You're going to see something fascinating here. It reads, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise up out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Seth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir, also his enemy, shall be disposed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. Now, this is Balaam's fourth oracle fourth oracle. He is prophesying under the influence of God concerning the blessings of Israel. And in this fourth oracle, he's making key references here about a future king, King David, but also about the Messiah. David, of course, was victorious in battle over Moab and Edom, thus he fulfills that aspect. But the whole story here is really talking about the Messiah. As with many messianic prophecies, David is often a forerunner um, of the future fulfillment performed by the Messiah. 
Um, in this oracle or discourse of Balaam, we see three key prophecies of the Messiah. First, he was to arise, um, not arise now, but in the near future. Historians view that this was probably, Balaam's oracle in history probably occurred around somewhere near 1407 B.C., 1407 B.C. But the words not now found in verse 17 makes it very clear. In fact, he would not appear, talking about the Messiah, he would not appear until after the other nations have come and gone. And what are these mentioned nations in 20 through 24? Well, one nation was Katim. Katim is listed. Katim is a reference actually to the Greek empire. So the Messiah will come after the Greek empire. Now, of course, that's under Alexander the Great, who then died early, and his kingdom was divided into sections by his generals. Um, and that lasted for a couple hundred years until around uh, 68 or so BC, then the Romans came. And right after that, when Romans come, that's when the Messiah appeared, the birth of Jesus happening soon after the Romans take over the, the world there. Second thing, it says, second prophecy, he is to be like a star. Now, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus himself refers to himself as the bright morning star. And we read this in Revelation 22, 16. I'll just read this verse. I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root, the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus is the light of salvation to fallen man. Now, some theologians believe that this might be a passage that the Magi, the wise men, used to locate the Messiah in Matthew's gospel. I believe that's probably true. Um, it's quite possible that they had access to this, uh, to the Torah. I'm almost certain they did. Um, from what we can read and stuff, uh, Daniel was the chief of the Magi, and so they read the books of Daniel and others. They probably would have read the Torah. Um, so I believe they had access to this because it talked about the star. What did they follow? They follow the star. Um, some discount this because Matthew doesn't include all of these prophecies here in his gospel. Well, Matthew doesn't include all of the Messianic prophecy. He does use some key ones, but he doesn't mention all of them. But in any case, this is talking about the coming of Messiah. The third prophecy, he will be mighty. He will be victorious over his enemies. He will crush his enemies, as it actually states. Jesus came after Moab was completely destroyed. The Romans at that time were destroying the last remnants of Edom, and that's when Jesus was born. How cool is that? Now, we have another faith lesson that we can apply to us. Even though, even though God was not overly pleased with Balaam's sinful and selfish ambitions, God did use him to proclaim an important prophecy concerning King David and Jesus the Messiah. This shows us something. It shows us that people who are evil, not really walking close with God, can still be used by God and still can work for God. Balaam will eventually be killed by the Israelites because of his evil influence. Some people think, though, that because they perform tasks for God or that they work for God, that he will pardon their sins because of the good that they are doing in his name. In other words, they, some people say that if you do enough good deeds God for God, God is going to bless you and let you into heaven. Well, that's not the case. Recall what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. I think this is the saddest passage ever in the entire Bible. Jesus is talking, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This passage should make some people re-examine their lives and their motives for working for God. Balaam was not a true follower of God and was condemned by many of the New Testament writers. Yet he seemed to be working for God. He actually prophesied in his name about David and about Jesus, the Messiah. But he truly never knew God. How about you? Do you think that by working for God in a church, um, going to a Christian camp, working at a Christian camp, going on a missions trip, serving in Sunday school, serving in Awanas or something like this, um, and other types of things, that doing stuff like this makes you a follower of Jesus and one who knows God? It doesn't. It now appears that we are near the end of the story, and Balaam and Balak... Um, we read something else sort of sad and as the story comes to a conclusion. For we read that Balaam and Balak did separate. In Numbers 24, verse 25, then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. But there is something else that happened that we just skipped over. We find out later that before Balaam left to go back home, he gave a message and a suggestion to King Balak on how to counter God's blessing on Israel. Can you believe that? Can you believe that Balaam actually does, does this? Now, why? He did it to receive fame and wealth that Balak had promised him. And the clue is found in chapter 31 of the book of Numbers. It's also found in the book of Revelation. Let's look at Numbers, chapter 31, verse 16. Behold, these on Balak's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. So the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. What's this talking about? Well, we get to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 14. We read what happened. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. You see what he did? It appears that Balaam, while waiting for wanting fame and wealth, um, he was not quite as good a prophet of God as we sometimes are led to believe. That he didn't curse Israel, well, that's true. But he does tell King Balak that if the Moabite women engage in sexual activities with the Israelites and get the men to eat food sacrificed to idols, that God would punish them and kill many of them. And that is exactly what King Balak did. The Moabites moved in. They were very socially um, or sexually immoral, and they came into the nation of Israel and started um, messing around with them, and the Israelites accepted all of this. So what can we learn from these two characters? Well, first of all, as I said before, how far are you willing to go to hear the Word of God? That's a question right now that we can just sit and think about for a moment. 
A second point. It is good to seek God's word in trying to find out your future. No question about it. People often ask me, I'm not sure what God wants me to do. Well, why don't you read the book of Proverbs? That's a great book of wisdom. It's written for teenagers. Why don't you try and figure it out? Talk to God. James says, if you ask God, hey, he's going to answer you. And you might not like the answer, but you'll get an answer. Third, when seeking out God's word, listen to him and accept it. Don't doubt his response to you. Don't try and barter with God. That's the fourth point. Don't try and manipulate or bartering with God like what we see in the story. God does not change. Particularly don't try and manipulate or barter with him with something that God says is wrong and is a sin. Those laws that we see of God are based upon his character and God cannot change his character. So those things are wrong. Don't try God's patience, in other words. If you don't like the answer you get, don't keep making conditions until you finally trying to work him, work him down and, and um, that he'll relent and allow you to do whatever you want. It doesn't work. And that's this whole story in a nutshell. And the fifth thing, just because you say you worship God and do work for God doesn't mean that you're walking close with God or even really know God. There was a girl um, back who, and when I was in youth group uh, many years ago, and um, she was the president of her student council at her school. She was extremely active in her church youth group. Um, she served actually as the vice president of the huge youth group we had. Oh, she sang specials on Sunday mornings. She loved to talk about how after college she planned to go to Africa. She wanted to be a missionary nurse. Talked all the time about that. Beth's, uh, or this girl, she seemed to have it all. She just seemed to love everything dealing with God. She loved to, to sing in the choir. She loved to lead worship. She loved to work for God and VBS and other things. It appeared to every one of us that she was really walking close with God, but she had a secret. Though she had a boyfriend who was also walking close with God, she was having a sexual affair with one of her teachers at high school. This had been going on for a couple of years now. But senior year, her boyfriend found out about it. He came to me and asked me for help on what to do. I could tell something was seriously bothering him, and it took him over a week before he finally broke down and told me what he found out. Well, I went to her and asked her, what in the world are you even thinking? She replied that she at first thought it was wrong. Yep, she thought it was wrong um, when he propositioned her. And um, because he was a handsome guy and everything, she, she fell into this. And she said, I, I thought it was wrong. But she says, now I love him. And, and he loves me. And he told her that, you know, that because it's, it's love and what she reasoned in her mind, because this is love, it can't be against God's will. And she said to me, she says, if this is really that wrong, then why does it feel so right? I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I couldn't believe that this is the same girl I've known for years. 
She told me that it started out innocently, but they both began to have a secret desire and a great desire uh, and love, as she put it, though actually it was lust for each other. And besides, she said that she was witnessing to him. And maybe, I couldn't believe this, she says maybe God will use her to, uh, in this relationship to bring him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I, my ears were just burning and tingling as I was hearing this, like, what are you saying? I couldn't believe what I was hearing. She was trying to manipulate God as she's trying to explain this to me and rationalize this to me. She's trying to manipulate God into accepting this relationship and this sin into some kind of evangelism to actually honor God. She went on to try to explain to me how how God could use the situation to bring glory to himself, that she's helping this man because he's in a loveless marriage. Um... She, she finished by telling me that God is a God of love, she says, Michael. And wouldn't God really want her to be happy? And if this is what it takes for her to be happy, obviously, she says, God would be accepting it. Besides, it's been going on for such a long time, and she's still doing great work for God in the church. I remember when she told me this, what went through my mind. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Well, there's a lot we can learn from this lesson, no doubt, and something we should all examine in our lives. And I hope you've enjoyed this lesson and we'll continue to follow up on and hitting some more of our, uh, downloading some more of our messages on this podcast in this series on minor characters, major lessons. And I hope you've enjoyed this one. But more importantly, I really hope that this has drawn you closer in your relationship with God. Many faith lessons were through this and I hope that they really help you. So we'd love to hear from you. Please uh, check out our website, evidenceforfaith.org, or you can contact us also. We'd love to hear from you. And if you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you also. So until we meet again, take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.